Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where I bring the best founders and investors to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is Juanjo, the co-founder and advisor at OMA, a venture partner at CAFUNDS, and also a business angel in more than 100 startups in the last four years. He prefers to be known as an engineer, an entrepreneur, and an investor. And uh, Juanjo, welcome to the show. Welcome, and thanks for inviting me to talk a bit today. That's <laughs> very important. Very important to mention in that order. First engineer, then entrepreneur, and only in the last step, investor. <laughs> At least this is how I feel. <laughs> That, that's really an amazing journey and, and we can see the different transitions and we will discuss those transitions starting as an engineering, then evolving more to the, to the, into the leadership role in the engineering space as the CTO, then starting to build your own companies as, as co-founder and CTO, uh, then evolving uh, to, to a business angel and also now uh, as a venture partner at, at Kafa. So that's a great, great, great story for any technical person that uh, wants to lead companies and, and also to, to become an investor later in, 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 in their careers. So let's get to know more about, about your story. Well, how, how would you, I know, I know how you'd introduce us, but just walk us through a bit of, of your journey so far. Well, uh, I'll try to, to make it short because I just <laughs> tend to talk a, a lot. So please like interrupt me or tell uh, me if I'm I will like... not say because of that, I, I just looked to your LinkedIn and your experience is, is massive. So you have different positions <laughs> to cover, but I, I assume that you will summarize some of them. <laughs> I mean, I, I first declare myself as somebody very, very curious and very impatient. So I can't really keep on doing the same thing for a long time. So that's why maybe I've moved from A to B and from B to C. No, just like kidding. Right. So, I mean, first of all, I, I, I first say that I, I am an engineer because I have a, an engineering background. I did computer, computer engineering and I worked, I would say, like half of my career really as a hands-on software architect, software developer. I did a lot of uh, big data in the former times and so on. And I really like enjoyed it. This is uh, where I feel comfortable. Um, I actually like have fun doing a lot of these things. I always worked in the in, in the startups, started my career work. I mean, I come from Southern Spain and mm -hmm. I studied like in Seville, but then I started my professional career in Barcelona where I worked for, for four years. Then I moved to, to Berlin, where I had the, the chance to, to jump into the ad tech industry as a, always, again, as a, as a developer, as an engineer, growing mm -hmm. uh, professional to become eventually like a manager and I started getting some experience, like managing some small teams. So actually I became like tech lead and so on, but always like, I would say like climbing the, the, the corporate ladder the, the, not really the corporate <laughs> it's not too, like, too much a corporate right <laughs> right but uh, moving out from 
spending like for uh, like 60 hours a week like coding to eventually like start uh, doing some other some other things such as managing people and whatnot so right. so so far so 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 good uh, but then i i had the chance when i was in berlin to to meet up uh, two guys who later eventually became my my partners so we decided to to to, to partner up uh, move to to paris where we started a couple of companies throughout like the following seven to, to eight years. First one, uh, Bitmotion on the ad tech industry was like a trading desk for performance mobile marketing. And that company led us to a few years later, uh, spin-off slash pivot to what later became Homa. It's like a, a, a publisher uh, for hyper casual mobile games which is so far, I would say like the, uh, I mean, as, as of now, uh, a success uh, story. I know you never know how it's gonna <laughs> end up, but uh, as of today, it's uh, currently like a scale up in, in France, 200 employees, more than 100 million years in revenue. Amazing. Uh, more, no, not than 100 years in revenue, more than 100 million in revenues a year, sorry. <laughs> right. And uh, more than 150 million raised, you know, living in a way the, the, the American right. dream of uh, an, an entrepreneur. Europe, which is in not Europe, easy. <laughs> which is not that, that easy eventually. So my, my role really evolved. It's not easy anywhere, just to, to be fair, but, but especially let's praise the European founders that a lot of times need to fly to the other side of the Atlantic to, to do it in the US. And you guys did it in Europe, and I was referring to that. Uh, it's, it's super difficult to do it in the US, of course, but sometimes during in Europe, doing it in Europe, it, it's, it seems almost impossible, right? <laughs> I mean, in our case, we we found uh, already back by then. I started. Uh, we started. Uh, I started my career as an entrepreneur in 2015. We moved to Paris. Back by then, I would say Paris was like tier two city in Europe, from startups yeah. slash uh, VC uh, industry. Uh, main reason is that because. I mean, I met my, my partners in Berlin and I would say back by then, Berlin and London were the two main hotspots for startups in Europe. Right. And in a way they still are, but uh, they got, some other cities have reduced the gap considerably uh, to, for example, yeah. I would say like Paris nowadays, it's all, almost caught up the with, the, with, Berlin, right? with the last two. But back by then that was not that, that clear, but the main reason why we moved is basically because none of the three partners who eventually uh, were the co-founders of these ventures that we built were German. And one of the partners was French, had a huge uh, network in Paris. Also, uh, the in a way, the, the laws in France were very nice and very uh, entrepreneurs like friendly, way better than, than in Germany, actually. And this uh, comes uh, wow. up, to, up to today as well. So for a bunch of reasons, we decided to, to move to, to, to Paris to start off our, our businesses there. And we're actually like... Uh, Pretty pretty happy about uh, about it. Uh, in, in, I mean, in, in a way, my my role as, an, as you could imagine, my career like changed a bit. At the beginning, the first years, I was really continuing uh, my journey as an engineer. I would say it was like the, the first among uh, 
right. among equals because I had to be like very hands-on, but it's true that the more the, the business like grew and we scaled up in terms of uh, employees and processes and, stu- and structure, obviously I, I moved more towards a product business and, and, and management. I was obviously as a tech guy, I was the uh, co-founder, mm-hmm. I was the, the CPO of the, of the company. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so far, so good. Um, but uh, years later, when we were big and we grew and we still continue doing that, I really felt personally that I was not having the same fun that I was having years ago. Uh, because it's like really, it's very different when you have like a, a little business or a medium sized startup than when you're like uh, way bigger. My role really evolved a lot. I was barely coding, just solving, right. uh, I don't know, HR issues, uh, fixing time. any sort bureaucracy. of issues <laughs> across teams, <laughs> bureaucracy, trying to make others productive, which is very nice. And I think in a way yeah. I, I managed to do, but personally I was not, not having, having the same amount of fun. And this is, and then I, I felt that uh, I was not going to be able to give my, continue giving my 200% for the following years in order to, to accompany like the company. So I decided to, to, to step down, um, even though I'm currently still very involved with uh, HOMA, I remain as a shareholder, I remain as an advisor, I travel very often to, to Paris, but I, I quit from my executive role as a CPO um decided to to do something else no and to try out like different things so that happened around uh, a year and a half uh, ago so in that way i I closed temporarily or forever who knows (laughs) i have no clue what i'm going to do tomorrow my 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 journey as an entrepreneur which basically lasted uh, eight years seven or eight years and then you moved from Paris to Malaga, where you are based uh, today, or were you already working remotely from, from Malaga? And, and Actually, that, that was more or less at the same time that COVID uh, hit us. So, you know, there were like right. this period of changes uh, okay. in terms of uh, working from office, working from right. home. So in my, my personal case, during the, the middle of the COVID, I moved with my family to a, it was like a fun story, to, to, a, to a cottage, the middle of the countryside in France, in Normandy. Ah, cool. <laughs> so, the because, yes, yes, I have like a couple of little kids and I say, well, if they're going to lock us down in their, like a small Parisian flat, I'm going to like become <laughs> crazy. So at least right. like, let's be somewhere where even if we are locked down, the kids can like, run and play. Yeah. So, so it was... Very nice. And after the COVID, really more or less at the same time than, than I decided to, to basically quit HOMA and, and, and move on. Uh, we, I moved to Germany with my family, back to Germany, in this case, not to Berlin, to a city called Dresden. Uh, this is a long story made short. Like my wife is from there and we <laughs> decided ah, to, to, cool. to, to try living there. But after a year and a half, we recently decided to, to move to Spain. And since the beginning of the year, I'm living in, in Malaga, south, south of Spain, which is kind of close to my hometown. Um, but still is a medium-sized city, very international. And cities yeah. like booming from uh, startups uh, point of view, which really reminds me a lot 
the Barcelona of 10 years ago, which again, yeah. Barcelona nowadays might be like a tier two city in, in Europe. Yes. Uh, but still, uh, I would say like in Southern Europe is the most booming city in terms of technology and startups yeah. and, and so on. So I, I saw see. that uh, Malaga is what is happening in Malaga. It's a bit similar than what happened in Barcelona years ago. So there's like a very promising place to, to, to be. And here I am since the beginning of the year. Sounds uh, amazing, and, and also the experience across uh, some of the larger economies, uh, largest economies in in Europe: uh, France, Germany, Spain. Uh, you only miss the the UK, and and we know that Italy is not so strong in 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 VC backed startups, uh, but you almost covered them all, and. Uh, and we can cover it a little bit later, but I think that having a German, a French, and a, Span a Spanish or Spaniard in a, in the founding team, uh, it helps when it comes to European uh, expansion, right? Uh, and also having a German wife, so a multicultural uh, approach to, to life and business. I mean, I, 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 I tend to say that my, my home... Uh, uh really looks like a united nations because in a way i do speak english with my wife but my wife speaks german uh, with my kids we do speak spanish they go to Amazing. french school because they were born uh, in france <laughs> so we continue with that so at some point it's like a real mess but that's in yeah. a way the beauty of europe absolutely I mean, we, that's like uh that's europe in a yeah. way. And, what I was kind of criticizing, not, not criticizing, but just uh, stating before about the difficulties of European expansion. Th this, these are the advantages of, uh, of being in Europe uh, on, on the other side of, uh, of, the, of, the, um, of the bottle, let's say. Uh, cool. And let's talk about this first transition. So uh, did you, when you evolved into CTO, uh, were you still working for others or were you already... Uh, an entrepreneur uh, at the time? No, I basically, uh, I mean, as uh, I followed the, the standard path uh, as an entrepreneur, which is that I basically like uh, quit from my job in the company I used to work and where I actually met my, my partners. And when we, we jumped on on the train of an entrepreneur, so really, uh, full-time focus and full-time dedication to the new business that we were bootstrapping right. Bitmotion by, by, by then. And I mean, CTO, what's a CTO? Uh, it really depends right. on the size of the company on the stage. At the beginning, I was the only engineer, the only person and the one like really doing everything. <laughs> I was a CTO because I was the only one, no? but, right. but yes, this is the first but transition it. was in a way smooth because my role didn't vary much. I was a handsome engineer and I continued that. Just right. that the more the business grew and the more uh, we were growing the team and so on, then my role started evolving okay. naturally in the same right. time the company was growing. Since 2015, right? So that that, that was when that chapter started. Uh, at yes. The time. So from in these uh, seven years, basically I grew from being myself alone to end up managing a team of, I would say, 30, 40 engineers. Got it. And internal in the in the company, and then eventually other, 
I don't know, it's impossible to, to, to count like uh, 50 to 100 other developers who work with us as partners because the model of HOMA, I mean, I think yeah. I didn't explain before, maybe I, 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 I yeah. summarize it like uh, briefly, HOMA, what it does is basically yeah. helping mobile developers to make their games become a, a world uh, success. So what we've built, we, we realized when we started like Homa that we were very good at uh, promoting apps. And mm -hmm. we realized that in the in, there was a huge market, which is still is, this is the gaming industry. And, right. more, and then inside the gaming industry, you have the mobile gaming industry, which is huge as well, because gaming is mm -hmm. huge and mobile gaming is still huge. But then right. there was a niche within uh, mobile games. This is called the hyper casual niche, which Again, it's, it's anyways still huge because <laughs> the market is uh, massive. Yeah. Where there were so many studios that they were very good producing games. The quality of the games were very good, but they were very bad. First, monetizing the games, and second, on, second of all, doing the go-to-market, doing like a user yeah. acquisition. So we saw the opportunity of partnering up with these guys and helping them to improve their games and then uh, promote them. So this is yeah. how we started with HOMA. Um, basically throughout these years, what we've done, we've built a lot of technology, uh, very, uh, a platform mm -hmm. to try to identify the needle in the high stack, which are the games or the prototype of games, which has like potential to become like a world success. And then mm -hmm. later, throughout like a, a process of improvements, trying to uh, optimize them and then like put like a lot of uh, gas on them to, to put them very high on the, on the top charts to become, to make them become like a, a world success. Just to, to, to give you an, an idea, uh, what we've done is industrialize the production of like hyper casual mobile games. And most mm -hmm. of the prototypes, they pass through our system we end up throwing away and let's say like in a month, we process slash iterate slash handle around like 200 prototypes and we end up publishing one. But the one that we end up publishing, it's very optimized. It's been put a lot right. of love on it. And then, because we have to be very, very, very confident that it's gonna work at the scale because we're gonna inject a lot of cash in right. the marketing. To, to promote it, so we, we we need to be kind of sure that the ROI is gonna it's gonna pay off. And that's the the model of of uh, of uh, Homa. Um, yeah. so far so good. It's working. We are like on our, on, on our way to to look. We are on our way to to find our. I mean, we had like a very nice hit, mm -hmm. but in the gaming industry, what it makes you uh, in a way, um, differentiate or become mm -hmm. not a unicorn, a decacorn is just finding one game. You look at the, the very successful company that really killed it in right. the gaming industry, like King or Robio, they just managed to mm -hmm. find the game. Candy Crush right. for King, Angry Birds for Robio. So that's like the main difference. So in a way, it's very similar to the BC industry. You may have a very, uh, very good companies that may perform and work out. But if you manage to find not the outlier, but the super outlier, yeah. this is gonna like, gonna make the difference. So 
in a way, the, the, the goal and the idea of HOMA is to uh, scale out the production of video games, obviously mm -hmm. like making revenues, but the more we scale out and the more like games mm -hmm. we produce, the, in a way, theory says the more chances we'll have to find out this mega outlier, which is gonna make us become not a big, but like a huge company. And so we're like very ambitious. We're putting a lot of technology uh, on it in order to make it more productive, more efficient. Obviously we're like very data-driven in the, the decision-taking on any process we do on our games. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's very, very interesting. And, yeah. and we're very excited uh, about, about it. It's great to see that it's, it is still your baby, even not being an executive in, in the company uh, at the moment, you are still passionate about it and you still uh, talk about it uh, as your baby, right? The, the <laughs> other day, actually, it's funny because it was uh, actually in Paris a couple of years ago, because again, I, I might have quit as a, as a CTO around a year and a half ago, but as I mentioned before, I'm still... right. Kind of like involved uh, in the company as an and advisor. You have joy the, on that, right? <laughs> the, the current CTO has of Homa has been my, my right hand for many years. I have a close relationship right. with him, so all of that. So I was a couple of weeks ago in Paris. Was there in the office? They were throwing uh, the you know this kind of like after world drinks or or whatnot, and. Yeah. I mean, I joined as like one person more. And Amazing. then I was like standing there on one corner, observing all the people, partying, having fun, making, uh, I, I don't know. And then it was just like standing on a corner, really looking at them, smiling, and in a way feeling mm -hmm. happy because it's what you say. It's right. like, uh, in a way, it really feels my baby, yeah. maybe a baby that already has grown. Exactly. Has it's not a baby home. anymore. <laughs> not a baby anymore, but still it's... Uh, my DNA is on it, I would say, or at least I feel in that way. And that's the analogy. Maybe now, as you said, the, the baby is more than 100 million in revenue, so it's much more an adult uh, and it's leaving the, the home of the parents and you, <laughs> you just need to let it go, right? And, and to be supportive and attend the events and see people having fun and having the <laughs> adult succeed, right? And yes. feeling the joy of seeing the adult uh, succeeding because you have been there uh, raising it in the most challenging times uh, of the of the story of of that baby. <laughs> well, every every period of the company is challenging. I might be Good point. better like or worse right. for uh, earlier stages where I feel more comfortable that I can have, yeah. let's say, more direct impact. I can be more on the growth hack mode. I can right. put like a solid base. I can really get into the plumbering and into the mud yeah. of the business. This is personally what I have fun of, but it's uh, as important as what they're doing right. now, which is bringing the company to, right. to, to the next uh, level. I just simply felt that in a way I was not the right person to lead uh, what is coming uh, now so as a uh, in a way I an love enterprise company uh, certainly I love the company so much that to me it would have been egoist to remain mm -hmm. there because willing as a co-founder willing Amazing. the best for the company if I had to be uh, honest yeah. with myself I had to to step down and let some other take this position because yeah. I was not going to be able to be at 200 percent 
for right. for the upcoming thing. So it might be difficult, but uh, yeah. it was a difficult decision. But uh, right now I'm uh, I'm happy, and I think I, I made like the right choice. Kudos uh, for that and for being so natural in kind of sharing it because I, I know that a lot of co-founders go through that process and sometimes they they never recover and they are never comfortable talking about it. Uh, it's it's never an easy it's it, it's easier said than done and and you have done it and you are even able to digest it in a way that you are able to talk about it in a in a positive way, right? Not for me for me the problem was not uh, to basically it's not that. I was kicked out. Exactly. Uh, you you decided. Me, yes. I decided, and it, I, I, for me, the toughest thing was to convince my other partners and to convince <laughs> the investors. We we that, want you uh, to stay. <laughs> right. pre, pre, pretty much, no. And uh, <laughs> exactly. no, but then uh, in the end, they, in the in the long term, they yeah. they're happy with that. But look how, how amazing you are, also still supporting the company uh, and at the same time supporting many other entrepreneurs start their own companies with with your experience during this journey so it is much more that's what you said from engineer to entrepreneur and from entrepreneur to investors so you started as uh, as an engineer then you move it more to entrepreneurship and through entrepreneurship you grow you grow from a, an engineer to to a cto of a of a large company and uh, and then you decided to move more to to uh, to an investor how how has been this transition uh, and this mindset of moving from uh, an executive that is all your time looking and thinking about a company uh, and uh, of course thinking about a lot of people but in your field thinking about the company uh, with your co-founders with your leadership team but then starting to think how do i support an android uh, founders that are out there trying to build their companies and what is my role as an investor that it's always different than the role of an entrepreneur right? so to me actually it was very very natural in a way let's call it organic um, maybe if I share my story it, it would be easily understood so I would say around four years ago uh, still as a, when I was uh, still uh, as an entrepreneur, you, you I still as an entrepreneur. As now a, you are a full-time investor. At the time, you were a part-time investor, and exactly. kind of almost full-time entrepreneur, right? Exactly. Uh, so around four years ago, I I was proposed to. I mean, I didn't have. I had never done advisory before. I had never invested before. I was full focused on my uh, entrepreneurship role. So, but around four years ago, I was proposed to to join and let's call it association of entrepreneurs like uh, in Spain called Citroper, mm -hmm. which aim to basically yeah. help other entrepreneurs. So in, in, as a pro bono, uh, let's say this way. Right. And uh, I was proposed that and I say, sure, why not? Let's, uh, let's, uh, let's do it. And then mm -hmm. I progressively, I started uh, participating in some campus that they were organizing, where were like some contests of startups. I started having some, doing some advisory to some businesses. Naturally, this led me to start having some deal flow and be making uh, some first small tickets as a business angel. And so, mm -hmm. I mean, not spending so much time on it, totally yeah. as a hobby, let's say, right. one, two hours a week max, but progressively was, I don't know, putting some seeds on growing some other 
aspects of my professional career or what is today my new professional career. Yeah. The thing is that I was doing this as a hobby also because I was interested in learning new things and because it really feels good or really felt yes. good to help others as I would have liked somebody to help me when I was starting. But yeah. what I realized that it really enriched myself, not professionally, but personally, no, mm -hmm. the fact that I was able to help somebody. That was like the, the surprise when I, I mean, I, I was talking uh, sometimes mm -hmm. to some other CTOs in earlier stages and just by sharing them, some mistakes I made, how I did the performance review yeah. of the engineers at different stages, how I organized the team. I don't know, just trying to leverage my, my experience and the slaps as, that I received as a, as a CTO awesome. and trying to prevent them in others. And then being told back the impact that not all, I mean, I'm not here like uh, Jesus to, to save nobody, but by, <laughs> by, 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 by maybe not providing solutions, but being able to raise the right questions to make the entrepreneurs like uh, think and get them out of their comfort zone, this had an impact, or at least this is what I was told. I, that night, that night, I was in a way going to bed like with a smile on my face. So this really uh, 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 had a, a positive effect right. on, on, on me. So I, and on top of it, I was learning a lot about like different like uh, businesses, I was growing my network, I was also nice. learning a lot about new technologies, about how some other people were doing uh, different products and so on. So this started progressively in my first like two years as a, as a let's call it like BA advisor, very mm -hmm. part-time, few hours a week doing this mm -hmm. as a hobby. But I was getting some experience on this. And then when I quit from, from, from HOMA, again, around a year and a half ago, I, my original plan was to take a sabbatical year to rest a bit. <laughs> and I always tend to say, I, I always say that this sabbatical year became a, a, a sabbatical fail because, <laughs> because I, I, I managed to, I, I guess this is like implicit to um, entrepreneurship uh, DNA, right. but after three weeks, basically doing nothing, I was like, a, Spider-Man, like really hanging on, <laughs> on, on the wall, not knowing what to do. So I, what it was very natural at this stage was to double down, triple down on this activity. Um, the last uh, year and a half, two years have been crazy because I have um, basically uh, participated in many events, kept on growing my network, talked to many companies, uh, continued like investing, a lot because then there's like a flywheel effect. The more right. you, I, I, I like investing, but also trying to provide something else than cash to try to bring like some value. I, I'm right. very agnostic to the, we can talk about my thesis later yeah, or not, whatever, that, but, but, but in yeah. general for me, something interesting is to, to try to, to help in a way, to try to leverage my, my, my experience in this case, as a, as a CTO and as a founder in the companies yeah. I, I invest. So I, I, I don't know what I was saying. I was, uh, I was enjoying that. Uh, you were talking about lot. the sabbatical and, uh, uh, and then you, you, were, I, you were not able to, uh, to have that year free. You, you started having a lot of fun 
in this yes. new uh, activity and you double triple down and you got yes. almost obsessed about it <laughs> yes exactly like so any I, good founder right <laughs> we love so much what we do that we get super intense <laughs> exactly so i continued doing this uh, i started really really doing this uh, this a lot also i was uh, enjoying very much because I, I was talking about sorry about the flywheel effect because the more right the more you invest and the more you help companies the companies in a way are happy about you. They talk well about you. Then some other co-investors help uh, know about you. Then you get to know some other co-investors. Some other co-investors introduce you to better opportunities. Right. The, the better opportunities you receive as a deal flow, uh, right. the more you invest. And then progressively, the more you grow your network and the more you grow yeah. the companies you have invested, the better deal flow you have. And the more you get into the into the into the community, so this yeah. you know. And meanwhile, I was like learning learning a lot. So mm -hmm. that, in a way, this uh, snowball effect made me be getting more and more into this world, into this industry. Also, moreover, because first of all, I was really I I, I like it, and I was really uh, enjoying it. Uh, I'm I'm really enjoying a lot, and I'm still like learning a lot, which is my my first goal nowadays so this uh, make me become currently as a let's say full-time professional investor as an advisor and then as an in a way evolution of this or very mm -hmm. natural i started collaborating with some bc funds exactly. uh, again i believe a lot in in karma uh, to give a lot and then eventually you will receive and yeah. it was like meeting people and some PC friends were telling me, hey, may you help me with this to analyze this company or what do you think about that? Always from, I always try to leverage my differentiator as a, as a BA that was more as a, of advisor on the technical aspect, which might be not that that common on the, on the, right. on the as, as, as a BA, you know? So yeah, yeah. in this, as, so about this, so I started to collaborate with many, with some BC funds. And with one of those, with KFAN, we, in a way, uh, we were very, very aligned. We liked a lot working with uh, each other. And then we, after a few months of more or less like casual collaboration, we decided to, in a way, put, put a, a surname or, or like an adjective in our relationship, right. formalize a bit what we are. And that's why currently I'm, venture I'm, partner. Uh, yeah. I'm venture partner, which means that uh, I'm... Uh, spending uh, it's not that I, I it's like having a, a part-time uh, role with them but still being one feeling one member of the team spending a few quality hours a week and helping them right. with uh, with many things basically my role there is two things uh, and then I get one thing back so yeah. what I help KFAN mm -hmm. is on the one hand helping them with the analyzing new companies. So I'm just one more angle, one more variable on the due diligence process of the, right. the projects that they are analyzing more, again, on my side, on the, on the technical and product aspect. And also with the companies that they have invested, the, the raising yeah. stars of the portfolio. I also do some advisory to the entrepreneurs slash CTOs to, to help them grow and, and scale. In the end, it's what I was doing privately as a right. BA for my companies, but for the companies of the fund. And in return, 
I'm really learning a lot because I'm inside uh, the, the fund. I listen yeah. and I understand how how they think, which which are, which is their rationale, whether they decide to invest or not. What are the the points that they look at? A VC understand things, right? the VC things, and this I use that for my own investments as well. So nice. this uh, learning, so it's a win-win situation. Um, yeah. So far. They tell me they're very happy with my help. I'm very happy working with them. And Amazing. this doesn't take me so much time because it's, again, I'm still most of my time. I'm doing my, my things privately, but as an aside job, let's say, I'm venture right. And So far, this works for me. And I'm very happy. And this is how I ended up in my current situation, which basically to sum up, it's I have absolutely no clue what I'm going to do tomorrow. <laughs> I'm allergic to long time uh, commitments, <laughs> but uh, who knows? Uh, for time being, this works. Um, very happy about about it. Trying and to help others. And the majority of those an hundred plus invest uh, investments or tickets that you made in startups in the last four years were made in the last year and a half, or uh, or kind I of. Put, yeah. Yes, yes, I would say. Last year there were fifteen investments, so okay. it was a uh, pretty pretty intense. Perhaps too much. <laughs> Got it. No, perhaps Got it. perhaps not for sure, yeah. because I, I mean, uh, this is very common to. It's like a well-known thing and as a in the investment world. So one of You're the kind of once a month, one a month, right? Or or more like a three what? or a month or stuff like that. So you are doing three a month, okay. Cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> <One a week. laughs> uh, pretty much. <laughs> no, but uh, in general, uh, I mean, uh, one very common thing, one of the golden rules is that you need to be diversified, no? Diversified yeah. in, in many aspects. And investing in startups should be a small or whatever you define. Right. It's a small part of the diversification Comfort. of your personal portfolio. Right. Because it has That's a lot of risk, because it's not liquid, because it's long term, etc. Et exactly. But then, even within this uh, part of your portfolio, investing in, in startups, from my point of view, it's good to be diversified in three aspects. So, first aspect is to be diversified in stages of company. Some, yeah. You can have your own thesis, but let's say that you can you can invest a bit in pre-seed a bit in seed a bit maybe not maybe why not in series a b if you don't have access to these deals then you can become lp of a fund etc but to be mm -hmm. to cover life of uh different stages of life of companies then right. you've got to be diversified in in a way industries you can like more or less some industries you can exclude some but as a general rule i tend to like to to cope, to be like agnostic to to different industries and to cover most most right. most of them with my investment. And the third aspect, and this is the one I know that I'm failing, to be diversified over time, uh -huh. <laughs> because right. uh, you got like some cash to invest. Let's make a plan, um, deploy it over several years, no, in order right. to be independent or less affected by a potential crisis, by some microeconomic uh, situation, etc. Um, over the last four years, I've been very concentrated in in the last one. And this is something I, I'm aware of, something probably I'm not doing well. But again, this we enter into this flywheel effect. If I compare the, the quality of the deal flow right. that I got last 
year when I already built a network, when I already have contacts yeah. with. I am introduced to many deals uh, directly from other co-investors, which I trust a lot. Then it becomes right. like harder to, to, to say no in a way. So, but my thesis and what I want to, what I'm aiming yeah. to do. To uh, share. The, it's a bit not so, I mean, it's not the most common one because typically when you're like a BA or more or less the rational that a fund has is to, let's say you got some cash, then you build a portfolio of 30, 40, 50 companies. Mm -hmm. And then at the beginning, and then you concentrate half of your cash on the one, two, three, four that go very well. So you, and you follow right. on very, very aggressively. So you concentrate on the winners. This is the most common thesis that yeah. most of the people follow. In my case, I do follow that, but with like a little variant is that, that I try to go for a multi-diversification. So mm -hmm. instead of going very aggressive on the follow-on on the winners, I do only small follow-ons and then I reserve part of the cash that I got to keep on diversifying because I met with the aim of in a way doing the same thing than Homa. Maybe this comes from there looking for not the outlier that will pay off all the investments or all yeah. the fund, my personal, but looking for maximizing the probabilities to get not the outlier, right. but the ultra mega outlier that right. but right. I don't know whether if it's uh, right or wrong difficult to say we'll talk we yeah. have another podcast in five to seven years and then i will let you know <laughs> if, I, if i fail or it was a success absolutely that 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 sounds amazing and and in terms of your thesis uh Juanjo, what what are kind of the so yeah, i see that you invest both in pre-seed seed and series a sometimes also as a as an lp when it's a little bit later stage and try to diversify that in terms of sector, you are uh, agnostic. Do you have any preferences apart from gaming? <laughs> Actually, I barely invest in gaming. Interesting. And this is something, <laughs> a pattern that I've seen in some other entrepreneurs who became investors, that it becomes very difficult to invest in the yeah. sector when you were an entrepreneur. Why? Because probably you're so knowledgeable about the industry that, that you, know you tend to see me <laughs> you tend to see so many bad points and so many risks in all the projects that you, you see. Exactly. And, uh, and also from a more strategic perspective, I consider Homa as my the, 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 the king of my investments nowadays. No? Uh, right. If we want to think from this uh, point of view. So I'm very concentrated from value of portfolio point of view on Homa. And Homa is gaming. So I try to also go to some other industries but in general i'm a bit uh, agnostic to to industries what i like in general or or what i exclude let's say the other mm -hmm. ways are projects which have zero tech because mm -hmm. in these projects not because they are not interesting they might be and they might be good businesses but the, the value that i can add there is very little as an advisor so then right. it doesn't really mm, uh, fulfill me and on the other hand projects that are very tech oriented or very deep tech for me it's also very hard to invest because it's also very little the value that I can add for example biotech or 
deep right. tech or even nowadays uh, blockchain or AI. Low tech I mean, it's not... or very deep tech. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, so we're in the middle, mid tech. <laughs> anything that they can use, uh, basically technology to where they can yeah. uh, they, they can leverage to to grow their business and to to build the flexibility and to make a, a good business. But I mean, of course, I made exceptions and I have invested in zero tech businesses and I have invested in deep tech with over hundred companies. It's difficult to not have any exceptions. But right. in general, I try to to concentrate on on this is my my sweet spot the the right. the middle part. A lot of questions and a trend that I'm seeing is especially in more mature ecosystems is we are seeing uh, operators and not only founders but uh, founders as well, but even operators starting to invest much earlier. So they are maybe still at seed or Series A, and they are already. Um, they are already investing the the the, the first uh, checks in in other startups in other entrepreneurs. In in your case, uh, you started to do it in two thousand nineteen. What was the stage of the company at the time at at Oma? So they were kind of Series A or uh... yes, I would say we just raised our first big round, which we call the seed round, but uh... right. In the end, it was like a serious A because I think the first round we raised seven million, so it was right. already uh, we were already yeah forty people in the company. We okay. were doing five to ten million in yearly revenue, something like that. And you felt it was a coincidence, or you felt maybe now I'm prepared to start, uh, you know, paying it forward and being more involved in the ecosystem and starting to invest. This is a question that a lot of founders have in their minds and also a lot of operators that are thinking, when is the right timing to start investing? If we would see the kind of the investment uh, articles, they would say, since, since you, you are born, right? So uh, it's important to start developing your investment mindset. But uh, we know it's always different when people start to wake, wake up to, to the opportunity of investing. And that is super important for, for their financial lives. Uh, and for, I mean, to me, for to, me to invest as a BA, uh, if you've been an entrepreneur, you need you got to have three things. First is uh, cash, money. <laughs> Right. This is yeah, of course. if you don't have, if you are struggling to live, of course, I mean, there's not so much to invest. In my course. case, I was uh, lucky that already the previous business we had some whatever nice uh, dividends, and then we did like yeah. some secondary in the rounds of home, etc. So I had some some cash there which I was willing to invest. Uh, then uh, you got to have some time uh, yeah. in a way that when maybe it's like the first phase of your business of your you company and then you're right. too much involved operationally working you're uh you're working very hard 80 hours yeah. a week you don't have the the focus and the energy and to do the, this or maybe the only when the company becomes a bit mature you start delegating it's not that you have free time but at least you can really have a couple of hours a week to think yeah. of something else uh, right. This could be like a good time. And the, sec the third aspect to me is uh, knowledge, knowledge and experience. When you already have gone to war, and even if you're still on war or you're back to war, then you can share your, you have yes. something, you have some story to tell or some 
something to 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 help uh, others which again most of the times it's not about uh providing solutions yeah. it's about most of the times the advisory roles is of us psychologists you need yeah. to talk to them you understand them because you've lived the same what they're living and then you try to to raise the, the right questions to make them think uh, different yeah. and this uh, at least what in my experience this at certain phases can really provide a, a lot of value and that's why it's amazing to have a business angel that has been founder and executive uh, himself or uh, herself because founders can relate much better with those people and they, they can also become coaches and mentors uh, and this is some, and this is something i've seen changing over the years from a bc point of view currently uh, this thing that you're mentioning it's something that bcs are understanding yeah. and realizing and that's why they're bringing, bringing to their teams partners yeah. venture partners, partners operators which have been entrepreneurs before yeah. because how the it's way you, you yeah. can in a way or at least it is perceived on this way yeah. that since you have stood on some more empathetic other, exactly some others uh feed uh before right. you can understand their problems better therefore you can help them more yeah. more not from an analysis point of view but more from a helping and support point yeah. of view if you've been an entrepreneur before you kind of have more empathy you and then you right. might understand their issues like uh, better and and sometimes the you know by experience how, how lonely it is to be an entrepreneur and and to be leading a company as a founder and sometimes you, you also don't feel confident to share everything with your investors because they can also worry about the investment that they made uh, on your company and on you ultimately, especially uh, in the first stages. Uh, do you feel the this, this, this same that even there is, uh, it is easier because there is empathy with you and you are a business angel, but there is always this barrier, this difficulty of, yeah, but I don't want to worry Juanjo, because it's it just signed the check on on this startup, and I don't want to tell all the bad stuff about the company. But only if I tell you all the bad bad stuff about the company, that's the only way you can help me. So sometimes it becomes difficult to manage the, that relationship. I'm now moving to your you you have both uh both both seats on the, on the table, so you understand both. Mo moving more from a for the founder seats in relationship with you as an investor, right? So there's two aspects here. First of all, uh, definitely yes. So I, even though that there's still some entrepreneurs who are a bit hesitant to open up to me just because I'm an investor, if I'm invested directly or I am doing advisory for the fund, but I would say generally speaking, no, they tend to open up more because and it's open up just because they respect what? me more and it's implicit because of what I live through. And just because they just say two sentences and I can really understand what they're feeling. And then they perceive that. And that's why it's easier to open up. This is one aspect. And second aspect that is very important yeah. is the fact that I mostly talk to and do advisory to the tech guys of the company the CPOs of the company, and then as, as techies for the good and for the bad, 
we're a bit special and we are mm -hmm. more, I don't want to say the word honest, but maybe the word is transparent or yeah. more naive or we or less sneaky. So yeah. we tend to you know, under promise or more realistic about stuff, right? More realistic. And we don't feel we tend to be more cheerful. Uh, it's easier. Yeah. I mean, with the with the tech guys. And again, there are no this is a cliche, yeah. no, but in general it's true that it's we are true. a bit yeah. less social. The same experience. We Even have, not we being less, a technical guy. Yeah. We, we are less social, so it's easier, for, it's more difficult for us to to build a network, to communicate and so on. But once you met somebody that you can talk to, then it's like easier to open up. Love it. So to me, uh, just because of these two aspects, because I'm mostly talking to tech guys, yeah. I'm Makes also sense. a tech guy and then they respect me in a way for my, for my career and I can understand them. So it's kind of easy to me to, to connect. To connect. Makes yeah. a lot of sense. Juanjo, let's go to the last segment of the show where we do hear a ping pong of quick questions and answers. So if you would have the opportunity uh, to meet yourself, uh, and now the question is uh, to have a coffee with you one year and a half ago when you decided to dedicate yourself to a sabbatical that ended being a full-time uh, investor role, uh, what advice would you offer to your younger self? I think that you already have 18 months a year to, to share something on, on that coffee with your younger Juanjo, right? I mean, the first lesson, uh, the first advice would be uh, take your mobile phone and throw it away uh, once in a while and try to disconnect <laughs> <laughs> because it's uh, the more you do and then the more you get involved into things then you live permanently connected but this is the, the, the illness or the sickness of that we all of us live uh, now nowadays uh, no I mean general advice would be really follow your 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 heart in a way and do what you're passionate about if you're passionate about something you will end up uh, finding your way through. I started investing and advising, not really looking for an economic return, or at least was yeah. not the main incentive, but just really because it felt good, good. helping others, for real. It might sound very romantic, salesy, but it's, it's really true. Uh, it, yeah. It's really impacted me personally, uh, having the feeling that or when I was told one month afterwards, I had a call with somebody, hey, I implemented what you told me and it really had a good impact for us because we could measure in that way. That, that day, I was happy. That was like real happiness. So, and, what are you, and what are you the most proud of on your journey so far? The most proud. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm proud. <laughs> I, I mean, I think I I was your journey uh, as an entrepreneur of, of your journey as an investor, both. Uh, probably the in a way self confidence and ambition because mm -hmm. it's uh, uh, difficult to sometimes when you have a a comfortable job and a comfortable position and you're still like learning to basically abandon everything and jump on a dream when there are a lot of uncertainties 
uh, and later to to pivot my my career but uh, to basically if i had to summarize it's not that i'm really proud um, uh, but uh, i basically being able to to follow my instincts and not be afraid of trying out new things on yep. the direction of a stuff that i'm passionate about love it that that's a great reason to be proud of so you have the courage to to follow your art even if your mind uh is alerting you of the dangers of following your art <laughs> sometimes people ask me what is your biggest uh i don't know yeah. let's call it advantage and your biggest weakness and then i say both are the same thing it's impatience because for at some point being impatient can be like uh, something very bad but on the other hand it can be something very good very if you if yeah. you manage uh, to to handle it properly so i'm a very for the wooden for the man very impatient person and this led me to to do many things <laughs> worst advice ever received it worst advice ever received i guess was my <laughs> my family uh when i was a student telling me why are you going to, to to Barcelona? You should stay in Andalusia and become a public employee and have a, <laughs> and have a very nice, quiet uh, job as a computer engineer for the for the civil service. Luckily, yeah. I didn't follow them, <laughs> and and that's why you are here today, uh, impacting <laughs> other entrepreneurs and other founders uh, to succeed with their companies. <laughs> and now the resources, your favorite book, and this can be business or non-business. You decide. It's much more to get to know you. Actually, I'm not so much into essays or business books or whatnot. Of course, I've read the, the classicals from zero to one and whatnot, mm -hmm. and they're nice. But I do enjoy a lot of fiction. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, there are like many writers that that I like. I like a lot uh, historical novels, or but in general, there's I like a lot uh, Ken Follett or John Grisham. Any book of them, I uh, I love them. Sounds great. And your favorite movie or series? I used to love when I was a kid the X Files. I don't know if you remember this series right. in the yes. in the 90s. <laughs> Still on uh, my time. <laughs> I used to love a lot uh, Dragon Ball as a kid, yeah. anime. And nowadays... Still on my time as well. <laughs> yes. So, so <laughs> I feel like old now. <laughs> and then some series I, I, I liked recently, of course, the, the classicals Breaking Bad or La Casa right. de Papel. How was La Casa de Papel in English? A Money Heist. But it's okay. like on Netflix. Awesome. Yeah, that's in so, Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's a Spanish series. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and and finally, your favorite podcasts, excluding this one. Uh, of course, I would have said this one, but since I have to choose another one, <laughs> no. I mean, <laughs> I, I there's a, I listened. Uh, I'm not so much into podcasts. I have to to confess. I only started yeah. listening to them recently. But I would say there's two, three podcasts, business podcasts, uh, podcasts about businesses in in Spain, which I tend to follow. One mm -hmm. is uh, the podcast of Itnik. Yeah. This Great is work. like run by the founders of Factorial, Factorial, that is one of the Spanish unicorns. Uh, 
and then I do enjoy a lot the podcast of K Fan. Uh, yeah. Actually, we have a very famous um, business podcast in the Spanish ecosystem, and yeah. then the perhaps the podcast of Seed Rocket as well, the Association of Entrepreneurs to yeah. which I belong in Spain. This is a uh, very nice as well because they basically it's a bit similar to the podcast of K Fan. They tend to interview entrepreneurs or from of different industries, sectors, yeah. stuff. Uh, very good to know. The different stories of how people yeah. like uh, went through. Three great ones. Uh, Juanjo, thanks so much for making the time. Congrats for, for your journey and for your mindsets. And, uh, and we have a deal. So you need to get back in the upcoming months or years to share uh, the results and the experiences and the lessons learned as a, I as a wish. BA. I wish it would be months, but most likely it's going to be like a few years until I see some <laughs> hopefully decent returns because, you know, this is a long-term investment and I invest in mostly in pre-seed seed, so Got it. Yeah. we'll see. <laughs> but things are getting fast, right? So in, in five years, you can get a very good understanding of what will be working. Uh, and that's I hope, what I hope people so. say in investment, right? So you can... What what is tricky is you can see very quickly what will not work, and it's it's it takes more time to see what will work, and that's what panics uh, new investors in in general. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Well, it was a pleasure to have you on the show, and thanks so much again for for being with us. Thanks to you, pleasure being here. And to our community, thanks for being there. We keep bringing you the best of the best to help to make your life a little bit easier as you scale up your company. See you soon and keep scaling.